0: Before we do actually go, I will remind you, um, if if it's over three days, I could barely remember anything about it. It's going to be very, very based on
1: my recollection. Right, let's go. Hello and welcome to the Topical City Podcast. I'm your host, James. But I was nearly a ghost, James, this week after being hit by a cement truck on the motorway. It's all fun times. As ever, I'm joined by the budget versions of Roy Keane and Mika Richards. One's grumpy as fuck and the other's just happy to be here. Welcome, Richard and Cam. How are you doing, guys? Which, Which one, one am, am I?
0: I'm Roy Keane. He's
1: <laughs> oh, oh, I'm Roy Keane. I have a shoot. Right. Sorry,
0: I've made that
1: assumption. <laughs> I, I, I thought I'd let you two fight it out between who you want to be. I know who I think you both are, but...
2: Well, I do have a pint of Guinness and a chaser of Jameson's in front of me here, so
1: I'll probably <laughs> take saw, the Rocking.
0: I always saw Richard as more of a serious to the arm
1: Yeah, but they're the little duo, aren't they? I was All trying right. to think of interesting, relevant duos that are knocking round at the minute, and Phil and Lil from the Arts didn't quite quite do you know what I mean?
2: <laughs> if um if I am being Graham Sooness, I will come up with a terrible, terrible take about British referees and the future of uh, officiating in the game as we go on, don't worry.
1: Jesus Christ! God, we've not been away that long, but uh, I'm back for the bang, eh?
2: I almost did a Scottish accent, but
1: Cameron <laughs> heard that. Oh, it's not intelligible. <laughs> at all. Uh, I think our one fan would be human.
0: He wouldn't, because it doesn't even sound Scottish. So there's nothing to be offended by.
1: <laughs> you guys doing well? Then you excited to be back on the pod?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is yeah, that a no from both? Yeah. <laughs> It's been a long
2: time, pal. It's been a long time. Uh, to speak. I feel like I've spoken a lot already, so I just want to uh, <laughs> try and keep it a bit balanced.
1: Well, I'll give a, I'll give you a break from speaking straight away and do a bit of a review of the Yeti Lads table. So after our last visit to uh, Pod World, Richard, how many top... games
2: has they been, James? How many? Pods oh, don't worry, mate. i am getting
1: to that. Don't you worry. Um, so Richard's on top with one point. Cam's on minus one after losing three points last time around. One, because he fell on his sword due to terrible hosting. And two, for getting the Everton lineup wrong. I'm on minus two after scraping two fantastic debate points back last week, which I know you're all really proud of me for. So that's Richard on one, Cam on minus one, me on minus two. I'm However, I'm still expecting my uh, bribe. However, here, yeah. however, Richard, we need to have a chat. because we've noticed once again on the Twitter... Cam, the man's been making some errors on these graphics. Supposedly, we've only had three podcasts. How many podcasts have we had?
2: It's five actual podcasts and awesome. one Derby Day debate, yeah. which nobody could win or lose points from, so it didn't affect the, the league table. So
1: I reckon that we, uh, rather than outright just
2: prosecute, should we give the defence a chance to make a statement?
1: Come, on, Cam, try and save yourself. All right, well, you're looking at the,
0: the file that I'm looking at says five podcasts played, so...
1: Yeah, that's not live though, is it? It's
0: live to me, it's happening right now.
2: <laughs> Cameron's no better than a Tory politician. He just pretends that it's never happened.
0: <laughs> so, so if, if that's his you how many that, minus that's points? That's the only way you can go.
2: No accountability, no consequences. If if it was up to me, I would dock Cameron points for every podcast that he missed off. But I feel like that's really, really harsh. So,
1: why, do why don't this? why don't we settle on? Minus
2: one point. Is that okay, Cameron, or are you gonna throw your toys out of the pram and literally not but like, just not, do a word? let
1: not talk about toys for... getting thrown out of the pram.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'll take I'll take the minus point and leave it at that.
1: I was just trying to get to joint seconds, so I'm happy with that now. Brilliant. <clears throat> right, okay. so we crack on that's the Eti Lads table? Uh so this pod's gonna be a little bit different. Obviously, City have had a break. Um, so we'll quickly chat about, in the FA Cup, we played Everton, and then we're going to talk about England and internationals a little bit and just see how we feel about them, if we change anything, and we've got a special international-themed debate coming up. So firstly, just on the City game, played Everton in the FA Cup, we made it 17 games unbeaten, away from home in our competitions, and we won 2-0. There was a nice little header from Gundow after Laporte hit the bar, and then Kev, Powered one in after Mara's nearly took Yeri Mina's tiny little head off. Kev's getting back on top farm now, isn't he? How did you feel about the game, Richard?
2: I'm really glad that Gundo got another goal. Firmly in my mind, he's now City's best route to a player getting the Player of the Season award. So as long as he keeps banging the goals in, I know it wasn't a Premier League game, but I feel like as long as he keeps that up and he keeps his stats up, then... He's probably our best chance to do that. The only alternative I can think of is Foden, if he, but he'd have to essentially start every single Premier League game now until the end of the season and get goals or assists in either. So, yeah, Gundo with a goal, and that was brilliant for me. He had a cracking game, as did Fernandinho rolling back the years. The captain was just fucking brilliant in that one for me. He's running to the box, taking on two players to get that pass through to Sterling, where... Who's their backup, backup goalkeeper who had a good game and Jal made the Virginia. save? Virginia.
0: Yeah. Is that what he's called? <laughs> Jal Virginia. Yeah. He just made
1: that up. Sounds it's like a his, restaurant. It's his name. <laughs> okay. I thought it was like Robles or something like that, innit? I think he's not been there for years. Has he not? <laughs> I don't know.
2: <laughs> anyway, I knew it wasn't Jordan Pickford by the quality of the <clears> saves <throat> that were getting made there. Uh, what do you guys think of... like is off that performance alone, Fernandinho should be like in the running for getting a new contract with City now, right?
0: He should just get so. one. Like, there's no, they should have got one. They should have got it start of the year. Like, keep him for as long as you can. I don't, I don't see the the arm in it. He's, he just brings that calmness all the time whenever he plays. I can't imagine what he's like behind the scenes. Like, he must be. Everyone always talks about how Fernandinho takes him under their wing and they, So. I don't, I don't know why it's ever in question that he should get an extension. Just keep him as long as he'll
1: stay. It's make him a player coach. Like, he's clearly interested in staying in the game, isn't he? So, why don't we have the best of both worlds?
2: You've got to think from a City perspective as well. If we do like let him go in that position, we're suddenly short in that defensive midfield role. And are you really going to take Gundogan, who's been as prolific as he has this season in the number eight role, and sort of make him Rodri's backup again like he was a couple of years ago? Like the only reason why I see that being a viable option is if you're then going to move Foden back into the number eight role or get Grealish in or something like that. So it it's, makes complete sense to just give Fernandinho another year and we can address that problem
0: later down the line.
1: Yeah, it makes sense to me. Tom, do you have any thoughts on the uh, City Everton game?
0: Yeah, I, I want to do my uh, patented weekly segment, the uh, weekly injustice. um <laughs> Was anyone else like proper fucked off about that article about us ruining the magic of the FA Cup yet again because Zhao Virginia didn't get through? <laughs> like, is there anything more annoying? We we ruined the magic of the FA Cup because Watford weren't good enough to compete with us. We ruined the magic of the FA Cup because a twenty-year-old Portuguese goalkeeper had a couple of good saves and couldn't get through to the next round. Like is any it, nobody else ruins the magic of the FA
2: Cup? It's just us. It's a nonsense take, and it, I think what was most disappointing was who it came from, because Oli Holt grew up in Stockport. he's like got quite a close affinity to Manchester City, and if he's even jumping on the bandwagon now to just release these trash articles with side swipes at City and the headline and buried in the article and everything, I think it's just, um, it's another low blow.
1: It's like they forget the purpose of what a game of football is about. But you're supposed to go and win. So if we felt sorry for him, that would be disrespectful as well. So it's like, where's the line?
2: Honestly, we beat teams like 9-0 and they say that City have been disrespectful. We knock teams out of competitions and suddenly the magic of the cup is dead. Literally, these people won't be happy unless City lost every game. And then when they do it, there's a massive criticism because of all the money that's been spent because of the manager that we've got. It's a lose-lose situation for Manchester City, regardless of what happens in the media. If we're successful... With sports-washing, dominating competitions, ruining, com- ruining competitions, etc. if we lose.
1: you got to think as well that that City-Everton game, it was nil-nil up until the 83rd minute. So how played was played really well. Football? Yeah. How is that ruining football?
0: It was an even game that we edged out, and, and it's just so annoying. I, I need to get a thicker skin about this stuff because I like stuff <laughs> on Twitter and journalists, and I get to me a lot more than I should. But that, that just really riled me up uh, to see, yeah, again, that, that opinion
2: come out on city only being able to like get the goals gone the 80th minute that just reaffirms to me why the quadruple is just a complete and not a fantasy if you think about the games we've sold up the premier league but if you think about the games that we have to win to win the other three competitions it's just too much like all that needed to happen there for Everton to get a result was for them to just hang on 10 more minutes you know, see things out through extra time when the players were knackered and went on penalties and then suddenly, like, the quadruple, quote-unquote, dream is dead. Like, we've got to beat Dortmund arguably twice and then Bayern and then whoever we get in the final, probably Chelsea and then Spurs in the League Cup final. Like, it's... Let alone then speaking about the FA Cup and Chelsea and Leicester. For me,
0: it's just a massive impossibility. Like, what do you guys think? But nobody thinks. No city fan thinks that we can win it. Only the most tinted specs, covered in club badges, walking through the Burton Arms guy, thinks that we're going to get a quadruple. It's we're not going to do it. So I'm just enjoying what
1: we have won and might win. And if we do get it, great. But I, I'm not. I'm in the same boat as you. We're not going to do it. This is the beauty of being a city fan. I think that, or at least a city fan that supported the club for a decent amount of time. That you you're so realistic and you expect them to lose most games, even though you know we're the best team on paper, our form's unbelievable. You know, you, you just, you don't go into a Champions League game or a knockout game expecting to, oh, we're just going to make the final. We're just going to win it. Like whoever we get in the final, I would expect us to lose because that's just what how I'm conditioned.
0: Well, and then it's like, quarters, Round of 16.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you know, anyway, this, Podcast isn't even supposed to be about City this week, is it? It's about England and internationals. So, England played San Marino this week. Did either of you watch it? All
0: right, Taskmaster was
1: on.
2: I don't even remember what I did instead. I just know <sighs> that I didn't watch it.
1: So, neither did I. And this is kind of the point of why we wanted to talk about it. So, you know, it, I don't know about you guys, but in the past, I was like well into. England games, especially being a bit younger, and I've just lost all love for international football. I watch the tournaments, and you know, it's something to do. But I was sat there, I was sat there on when was the San Marino match?
0: Thursday, Thursday, yeah,
1: yeah. I was sat there, like I could put it on, and Lindsay was like, trying to put the England game on, and I'm just like, no, just no interest at all. <laughs> the, only, the only slight thing would have been if Foden had been playing, I'd want to watch Foden, but in reality, I'm watching him going, please don't get injured, please don't get injured. And it, it's not an enjoyment thing for me. So we thought we'd have a chat around internationals to sort of see, you know, rather than just chatting about how great they are, what what we would like to change or, you know, why we chose not to watch them. And if it's, you know, for you guys, do you watch the important games? Do you watch the World Cups and things like that? Or do you just not bother with internationals at all?
0: Just, just to back up your point. We're recording this while England are playing. Exactly. So yeah, again, we've all we've all chosen to do something else and put the England game on. <laughs> they it, it, it needs reworking massively. I saw a a, an, a th- quote from Arsene Wenger where he wants to sack off the Nations League because who gives a shit? And he wants to play the Euros every two years and then the World Cup in between the Euros, so every two years again rather than having it every four years because I don't. I only care when it's the World Cup. And even then, not really. So I, I think it's all the qualifiers, all the Nations League shite, just just nothing that's interesting. And we do only really care about knockout stuff because that's where the drama comes in. I, I don't care about beating San Marino 5-0 in a group game or or worse, playing an international friendly where they say it's for team cohesion and then they go away for another three months before they play another England game. It's, it's shite. So it definitely needs a huge rework to get me interested, which is obviously the point.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wrote a load of notes about this, like when I was doing a bit of prep for, for the pod yesterday, but my epiphany on it kind of came when I was just on the toilet before. Like we shouldn't be expected to give a shit about these qualifiers, like at all. It's the equivalent of preseason games in America when City play for me. It's like who cares yeah. if we beat Liverpool at the you know the Yankee Arena or whatever the fuck those stadiums are called? It's just it's not important at all. And I think that you can be a, a fan of England and not be expected to watch any of these trash qualifiers against San Marino or Liechtenstein or the Grand Duchy of Poland, Lithuania, or any of these other fucking like countries. There's some good things about England now that I do like. I like that Southgate's trying to impose a specific style and philosophy of football on the team rather than just picking the best Premier League eleven and like giving them a run-out each and every week like Sven used to do. I, but you're right. For like from a cult, from a structural perspective, they've just got to reduce the the amount of nonsense fixtures that are being played. Because you wouldn't if this if that San Marino game was in England. And it might have well been, I don't even know. <laughs> but if it wasn't in a in a pandemic and fans were allowed in Wembley, how many fans do you think would have showed up for that? Now, yeah, probably shitloads because people are just desperate to get out of the house and do something. But in normal times, you wouldn't get 20,000 fans for a game like that. You get more fans for the 409 derby when it's Oldham versus Rochdale at Boundary Park. It's just trash and I like the Nations League, so I don't agree with Aston Wenger. When you're competing for a trophy against the likes of Belgium and Portugal and decent teams, where it's going to be a competitive, like sporting event, that's fine for me. Like, I'll get a bit of interest behind that, even if it is like the nation's equivalent of the Carabao Cup. What's what's nonsense? What's is some these? respect
1: on the name of the Carabao <laughs> Cup. <laughs> yeah.
2: See, I like it. I'm I'm, I'm giving it the <laughs> respects it deserves. Uh, but I just don't think that you need as many qualifiers as you do. Um, I don't think that, you know, you, you can have these, you know, 20,000 nation countries playing against each other and it, it not impact on teams like England, Germany, Portugal that, that are going to be expected to qualify no matter what anyway.
0: And also, is, is there anything worse than your best in player going away to play for Belgium or whatever? and then coming back and getting injured and being out for six weeks because of a nonsense friendly. Like, I, I think that's another that, reason um, that, that Bernardo so Silva might
2: be injured after
0: the Portugal game. Like, exactly. Fuck really? me. Like, for, for some nonsense fucking game that doesn't matter, now City have got to deal with one of their best players being out for God knows how long. So that that puts the irk on it even more. I just can't stand it, unless it's the World Cup. So, what if... Because the, the whole part of the World Cup and the best parts of the World Cup specifically are when the smaller teams do well. Like when you get a surprise package in the semi-final or whatever. So mm-hmm. I would be way more interested in the World Cup if it was like the FA Cup where it's played across, you know, like six months or whatever. And it's literally every country in the world in a knockout tournament instead of like an international friendly. So like you start with like the round of 256 or whatever and then whittle <laughs> it down throughout the season. So you get to like the what would be the World Cup in the normal period and then you just have, I don't know, 64 teams knock out round each other until they win it. Because group stages are shite as well. Who gives a shit about group stages?
1: Group stages yeah. are manufactured, aren't they? So that... It gives the better teams a better chance of going through.
0: Exactly. So, doing knockout tournament all the way through and get like Kazakhstan getting through to the the round of sixteen or something like.
2: In your scenario, though, Cam, are you still going? Are you going to watch England versus Honduras in the round of two hundred
0: and fifty-two? I'll have to, I? Because I've made the (laughs) I'm the proponent of it, so I can't turn around and say no.
2: I think what was brilliant about the World Cup as well is is the. It's the rareness of it. It's the looking forward to it taking place like once every four years. Uh, So I don't agree with Arsene Wenger's opinion on that either. Um, You know, you have the Euros once every two, like four years as well. So there is the gap there. You know, teams in the Premier League make a shitload of money doing pre-season tours and stuff like that. So no team is going to, like football club is going to back Arsene Wenger's proposal either because if you've got a tournament every single summer... There's essentially non, non-stop football constantly. Players aren't going to get a rest or a break or a holiday or anything. So he's I don't know what he's smoking over there in FIFA headquarters, but he's been coming out with some right tripe recently as well. That offside rule that he's suggested, have you guys heard about that? No. Yeah. It's, it's basically that it's a reverse of what it is now. So if you have any part of your body in line with the defender... Then you're on side. It's only if you're beyond the player. So you're essentially just transferring exactly the same problem that we've got with VAR and so the lines the and the player. protractors. A hundred percent. Just you're moving it like one yard further up the pitch.
1: So, so hang on, hang on. on. So with that, I could, correct me if I'm wrong here. So wouldn't that solve the VAR issue of? There would be clear daylight between both players, so that'd be easier to define offside. But it's not fair because the attackers getting the advantage on the defender. It wouldn't
2: even be easier to define, in my opinion, because you, if if like the one trailing leg is on line with the defend with the defender behind him, and you've still got to do the lines and draw like draw the protractor in motion to get it you are just moving that like a little bit further up the pitch that and it just completely dissolves the concept of playing offside traps Mm -hmm. and playing high lines it it would totally you as a manager you would have to be a massive like tactical innovator to just suddenly embrace that and come up with a way around organizing the defense as a as a consequence of it so
1: will be all let's right Let's just...
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's just put Arsene Wenger to one side in this conversation and, and not accept any of his proposals and I think we'll be okay.
0: So I will accept my proposal of the,
1: the FA World Cup. Uh,
2: James, you've got the deciding vote <laughs> on that, mate. What do you reckon?
1: I think it needs a lot more debate. What's but, your but,
2: opinion on this then, James?
1: Do you know what? It's not even... It, is, it does feel like it's oversaturated, but... For me, it's partly interesting the individual teams as well. And maybe this is something to do with getting older and maybe not being in as much love with football. But, you know, it felt like at a point, if you looked at the Spain national team or the Germany national team or whoever it was, they were star-studded and they were full of legends. And like I saw, I saw like a, a preview for the, the Spain team today, I think. And it's like, who, who are half these players? And that's like one of the powerhouses of international football, and I feel that's like France have got a great squad at the minute. Fair enough to France. That's like just superstars. But I think if you look across the board at a lot of these teams now, it, it doesn't seem, I don't resonate with the players in the same way. You know, like Spain are starting some guy from Napoli's midfield uh, that's like, I've never seen him play. I don't know who he is. Whereas back in the day, it was like Xavi and Iniesta, David Silva struggling to get in there. you got Torres up front. I just, I don't know. I'm just not excited by the teams around us anymore. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? I
2: feel like uh, the nostalgia factor is going to be a massive thing in our debate for you then later, isn't it? Oh,
1: 100%. 100%. (laughs) You know, like, literally, I don't play it anymore, but I used to play FIFA and stuff. I used to love, like, the legend players or football manager. I'd download, like, one of the the edits so I could play as, like, you know, Premier League 2000 or whatever and... Sign David Silver as a youth player or whatever. I don't know. It's just it feels like a lot of teams are in transition. I think that's probably a good way of putting it. And it's I'm not I'm struggling to connect with them to be like, oh, do you know what? That's a brilliant Spain side. I'd love to see them play whoever, regardless of the play in England or not. I'm just just they're not grasping my interest.
0: I think nostalgia is a slight is part of it, but also I do kind of agree with James in that if you think about world class players nowadays. Even if I go back and put myself in the shoes of like being in 2002 or whatever, you can name 20 world class players from 2002 that were world class at the time without nostalgia. But nowadays, like, you struggle to name world class players plus maybe like five or six. Like, literally, you get like you could go back to 2002 and go, Oh, you had Ronaldo, you had Rivaldo, you had um, Zidane, you had Figo, you had you know, like, just go on and on and on and on. Whereas nowadays, you've got Ronaldo, Messi, Neymar, De Bruyne, and then those are like what you consider the the highest echelon. and then from there it's like, oh, they're great players, and then you just go down and down, so I I do get what you mean, James, that there there were a lot more, maybe football was just a lot more, like the era of the Galacticos, it was was a lot Mm -hmm. more about making a superstar than, maybe now it's more about making great teams than making a superstar.
2: You really laying the foundations
1: for your
0: debate, aren't you, Cam? <laughs> Just two thousand and two right. specifically, right? Let's, uh, let's not
1: get too let's not get too ahead uh, into these yet because uh, we'll be spoiling it. So uh, let's take a quick break, and we come back. We've got more international chat.
2: You're listening to the Topical City Podcast. Disagree with anything you've heard? Don't forget to let the Etty lads know at Topical City Pod on Twitter.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Topical City podcast. We've got one more question before we get into our debate. So guys, I want to know, what is your favourite memory of the England team? Or more specifically, a time when you were passionately following England and, you know, you you can't wait for the next game, you're looking at who the goal scorers were and all that type of stuff. Was there there a point in time where you were that involved with the England team? Is there out better than the 5-1? Probably not. (laughs)
0: There's, that's the answer isn't it like beating Germany 5-1 the uh, as well. I was like, just
1: going to say who's the player you think of straight away I I mean, was... <laughs> like, <laughs> uh,
0: Emil Eski de Rabin from Lost is there anybody better to uh... <laughs> there's, there's no better memory for me than that game was the the 3-0 that we
2: beat Spain on recently um, might have been a Nations League game might have been a Euros game I honestly can't remember but it wasn't long after Southgate had been hired. And I think anticipation and everything and, and just looking forward to England was at an all-time low. <laughs> and to go out and beat Spain, who were arguably the best team in Europe at the time and beat them the way that we did in that game, was, was pretty sweet. I think that reignited a lot of love for England. But in in my thing, I've basically just put the uh, the 2010 World Cup I just remember the summer being fantastic, going watching a lot of matches in pub, beer gardens with my mates. So England must have done okay. Either that or I was just looking for an excuse to go out for every single game. In 2010, that was definitely you. Yeah. Yeah. That that was the one where we got knocked out by Germany, right?
0: Vuvuzela Central as well
2: the germany one where we had the scapegoat of the referee disallowing that uh oh, the that goal, goal. john terry. he was in a lampard yeah because he yeah. climbed on a on a england players back to score the goal like that
0: as an illegal move was, was that all also, oh. good. are you thinking
2: Jimmy? of a different
0: one then yeah because yeah, yeah, i thinking yeah. of lampard getting it over the line and it yeah, yeah. yes
2: it was the same game i think lampard over the line and i think it was terry uh, who got who got the head of the goal and then it got disallowed? But it might have been like four two by that point anyway. But was it was that also a,
0: was that also the World Cup where uh, Rob Green had that absolute calamity? Quite possibly. It Seems USA? like around that era. Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah, USA o- opening game. What a what a time.
2: He did a, an interview once on, on like Monday Night Football recently yeah, where I he it. sort of explained that. I saw the thumbnail for it on YouTube and I was like, do I care to hear him explain <laughs> himself after all these years? Nope. And just kept on scrolling.
1: So neither of you mentioned a couple that I jotted down. So I, I do have a personal favourite World Cup year, but it's one of the ones that you've sort of picked for the debate. So I'm keeping quiet on that. Um, the others that I wanted to mention was um, the 98 World Cup, which is the first one I really remember. And I was like, as a kid, I was eight year old, like passionately loved every minute of it. i like the, you know, the newspaper cut out on my wall where I'd fill in the scores. And I remember being sat there in that main inflatable England chair with an England flag. And then Beckham kicks out. At, um, it wasn't Pochettino, was it? Who did he kick out at?
2: Was it Simeone?
1: Simeone, and he got sent off. And then obviously went to penalties and... Was it Southgate that missed it? Yeah, yes, I think so. yeah. And I, I remember snapping my England flag and storming upstairs in a tantrum. And I thought, I've never reacted to an England game like it since. And then was the that other Michael one,
2: Owen's debut one as well? 16 years old. Yeah, with, oh, with, yeah, yeah,
1: playing Argentina. And the other one was just a quick shout out to... I think it was at Euros qualification where Beckham scored that free kick against Greece where we he need, it was like the last few minutes and we basically needed the goals to qualify. And I don't know, it was just... You
0: remember the celebration, don't you?
1: Like, yeah, yeah.
0: You, you definitely really remember the celebration.
1: Yeah, they, they were just a couple that I wanted to show out.
2: I think it's the most English thing ever to call a generation that failed so badly at football to be called the golden generation. <laughs> Honestly, like... I'm glad you... The expectations set up there and the payoff certainly was like, it was Game of Thrones-esque, I think. <laughs> I'm glad
0: you said that there because I wanted to talk about that when we get to the debate, but I didn't want to say the name of it because I was almost certain it was a GAR cliché. So I'm glad you at least mentioned
2: it. Oh, I completely forgot about the girl clichés. We had started the debate completely yeah. Completely without... I'm, I'm prepared to lose some points on that. I'm, I'm going to proper hammer on the, uh, the cliches this time.
1: <laughs> cool, OK. Well, with that in mind, shall we get on to the debate? Let's do it. I'd love to. Right, OK. So <laughs> up first, we've got which international tournament has been the best in our lifetime? Who'd like to go first?
2: I don't mind going first, if you want. If you, if you
0: like.
1: Go for it.
2: So with mine, I've chosen the 2018 World Cup. And I feel like I'm approaching this now at a little bit of a disadvantage because of all the nostalgia talk that's just <laughs> gone on. But I'll plow on anyway. For me, I think the being the best tournament in our lifetime kind of goes along with the success that the squad has as well. And with this World Cup starting literally from football's coming home, being sang as a chant, like ironically, to then actually being sang in pubs with a genuine belief that England could actually win was I think just astonishing to me considering how we've looked at England like over the last couple of decades. We've always fallen short. You look at like the Iceland game in the Euros. We've spoken already about Germany in 2010 and stuff. And when when you just sort of look back on the results that England had during that tournament, overcoming the injustice of a completely undeserved penalty in the Tunisia game winning on penalties against Colombia, like overcoming 30 years of never winning a penalty shootout. Um, and Cam, you can't say in the rebuttal later that that didn't mean anything to you because I was with you in the Waldorf when no, it happened. Was and I, yeah, it was I, saw the, I saw the fire reignite in your eyes that day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I just think that that was like England's best tournament. So it's pretty important to being considered like of the best in our lifetime and just tournament-wise there as well. You look at the tournament as a whole, Belgium and their great players, uh, France being the champions with the youngest squad at the tournament, the game of France against Argentina, uh, where they won 4-3 in the Di Maria and Pavard goals, uh, the memorable 3-0 draw with Spain versus Portugal. I just like liked that tournament a lot in general. And for us to be... Old, like older now and be able to watch football in the pubs and everything to get through to the semi-final, I just felt like that was for me my best shout for being the tournament of our lifetime, the best one.
0: Cool, Cam, what you say? So I've picked 2002 World Cup, uh, and I've wrote a little <gasps> bit. I wrote a little bit of prose, uh, so if you if you'll permit me, uh, I'll read that out to you. Uh, it's very poetic. Uh, if I do say so myself. Uh, so, look, they thought it was all over, right? But it's only just begun. It was the cup of Eastern promise in the land of the rising sun. Seemed a million miles like? away. And one thing's for sure the talk begins at 66 because we haven't found a cure. We sent an SOS, there was a country in need. Sven's the man, he's got a plan. We found a super Swede. A Nation reunited and England comes alive. Golden Balls is captured. and Heskey makes it five. We're on the ball. Uh, I win because what was the 2018 World Cup song? Give me what's the best part about the World Cup? It's the song, uh, and I think for the 2018
2: Cup, we, we, we just re-aired that Baddiel uh, and Skinner. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> the hallmark of a shite World Cup when the lightning seeds turn around and come back again. We had Anton Deck singing <laughs> singing the World Cup song. Uh, we had a whole verse of that song was just then me- mentioning the names of players. Uh, and it was still the best one. Uh, we also had Ronaldo, the best striker maybe of all time having the worst haircut maybe of all time with his little pie head. Uh, and then on, on a more serious note, it was it was the tournament of surprise packages. You had Senegal in the quarterfinals. I remember very vividly being at school when they'd put the matches on at lunch, seeing Senegal. I think they only just lost to France uh, and then eventually making it through to the quarters. Uh, and then we also had a semi-final on one side of the draw featuring South Korea, a home nation, and Turkey. So the World Cup final could have been South Korea v Turkey. Unfortunately, it wasn't. It was Germany v Brazil, but that doesn't matter. Uh, and then, of course, we've got that that certain generation. Richard mentioned the name of before, which you should lose points for, in my opinion.
2: What's that generation called again, Cam?
0: Uh, I think it is, it's something to do with some precious metal. I can't remember the exact name of it, but uh, it, it's literally the best England team. Uh, it was the worst England team results-wise, but did you ever? Were you ever more excited than a back four of Neville, Ferdinand, Campbell slash Terry and Ashley Cole, Beckham Skulls, Gerard Lampard and Owen and whichever big lump usually Heskey went on top with it. Was there ever a better England team to get to actually be excited for than that? So the 2002 World Cup had it all end of discussion and the best song now it's the end of discussion i can't believe you read out
2: some prose there and it was held in japan and you didn't write a haiku i think that was a bit of a well the surprise package of the uh like getting through to the finals of the 2018 world cup was england <laughs> like nobody expected that to happen but Southgate, Southgate decided to tell everybody that we were going to try our best to win the group, and then went out of his way to win second, uh, so that get second, so we had an easier path. Well,
0: what's better, Southgate or South Korea? South Korea.
2: <laughs> in my opinion, having been there, South Korea. Although I've never been in Gareth Southgate, so there I can't go. really comment. On that. The <laughs> there isn't too much negativity I've got to say about the 2002 World Cup, to be honest with you, because I do I, I like, enjoy that tournament a lot. The only thing that sort of like Puts a bit of a dampener on for me was because it was held like that far away. Getting up in time for some of the games was just a massive pain in the ass. That <laughs> yeah. some of my worst memories are having to get up early when I shouldn't have to. So,
0: <laughs> so
1: is that
0: on it.
1: Any rebuttals? <laughs> or are we happy to go to a decision making that?
0: Make your decision, pal. Yeah, right call it. Right. Ring the
1: bell. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. So. I will tell you, there was no gale cliches in there. Mine was um, someone mentioning Gareth Southgate's waistcoat.
0: Um, that's a good Gael cliché, that. that's a good, I like that. that in
2: my notes, I
0: think, and I missed it. <laughs> oh, Because I did
2: actually think of these Gael clichés. I thought football's coming home, Gareth Southgate's waistcoat. Or oh, was that earlier when I was, in, I think it might have been earlier when I was set up for Baden-Malvin, um let me do control F and waistcoat <laughs> in my nose. Oh, no, wait, that's it's coming up in the next debate, so I'm glad we've got that gal cliche out of the way.
1: It can be repeated. Um, yeah, so neither of you hit that. I think this was a difficult one to judge because I know what I felt before, and I was trying to judge them completely, like impartially based on how you two argued the points. So... I think, obviously, you mentioned the shootout, Richard, that obviously we've had so much disappointment with that, so that was a good point. The fact that we're old enough to go and drink in pubs and enjoy it, again, that was a a big atmosphere change from, like I say, being a, an eight-year-old watching it on the sofa with my dad. Cam, that World Cup song, like, you know had me in tears, mate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was, it's it emotional,
0: both. isn't it? Oh, uh, um, missing as a John Barnes rap. <laughs> I mean, do it if you want. No. Bonus point. <laughs> the song itself, <laughs> not me. I think that
2: would (laughs) be cultural appropriation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think John Barnes culturally appropriate. (laughs) I I see us going down a dark path here. So let's move straight on to uh, my second point, which was uh, you mentioning the England's, the the squad that England had for that tournament. Yeah, it kind of drew a bit of nostalgia out of me. And
0: Was that Theo Walcott's first? Did he go to that World Cup or was it the next one? Because Sven took him, to did it? So it should have been yeah. the 2002 one. I think yeah. Sven took him at
2: 16. Yeah, he was he trying to replicate play, the Owen thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 I think I'm probably against my better judgment. I feel like, even though I disagree with the year, I feel like Richard argued the point better. So, point to Richard. Wow. Oh, well, thank yeah, you. I, disagree, I am surprised. To be so. it's, it, it was a good World Cup. I got into it. so. Um. So, that's the first one. Secondly, The next debate question is, which realistic candidate should be the next England manager and why? And I've emphasised realistic on there, so you don't just chuck... And I've completely ignored
0: it.
2: I was (laughs) going to say, me and Cameron are going to stretch the boundaries of realism (laughs) in this debate, for sure.
1: (laughs) Right, okay, so who's first this time? Cam? Me. Big Sam, baby.
0: Big Sam. Jonathan, let me... We are living in a world where we have voted ourselves out of the EU and a football team is supposed to represent the the identity of its country and there is no man that exemplifies a post-Brexit England better than Big Sam Allardyce.
2: (laughs) I like my England managers like I like my meat pies (laughs) and sausage rolls.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I... I want to fall back in love with England, so I want it to be. I want it to get weird, baby. <laughs> I want to see. I want. To, I want. Root one football to Harry Kane. I want Mark Noble to get his first England cap in the World Cup final. I want the. I just want a weird shit to happen to England, and the only way we're going to get that is if Sam Allardyce is back in charge. I want Sam Allardyce to take the piss out of. I don't know, Killian and on the sidelines. Big Sam should lead us into the into a upcoming World Cup, get rid of Southgate, get Allah Dice in. That's what I say.
2: Breaks and picturing though. Big Sam with his hands in his pockets and that rapture yeah. rapturous laughter yeah. while at that he, he has to take
0: the waistcoat though. He has to wear the waistcoat as well.
2: The same one, so it's like sizes too small. Yeah, if you bought and off well like cameron um i do only exclusively drink boddington's now that we've had brexit so i can't really say anything (laughs) against this uh
0: i just want i want my to happen in real life that's what i want i want a real life mike Bassett to happen we were we were absolutely stolen from us for no reason he took some he took some money to tell people how to do transfers who cares fuck off What's, ama- what's
2: amazing to me about that is, yeah, he got sacked by the FA as England manager for that and then literally hired, like, months later by a Premier League team where what he was saying he would do would actually be in effect. Yeah, uh, exactly. Plug, it's, like, it's shit. Not a nation.
0: <laughs> All this but I'm
2: contributing to uh, Cameron's points. So I yeah, feel like I Cameron's should have gone say. first because mine is a lot less humorous than, uh, than Cameron's. What are you talking
0: about? I'm serious. If- <laughs>
2: maybe it is humorous in some circles. I I would say that a realistic candidate for our next England manager would be Jose Mourinho. And the reason why I say that is like one thing that baffles me at the moment is, is the idea that the next England coach has to be English. Like there isn't a rule or a law that says that that has to be the case. And it just heavily restricts the kind of candidate pool that you would have. To the point where you have to appoint the nearest bloke in a waistcoat, which in, in Cameron's case would be Sam Allardyce. Like once you like open it up to the fact that you can hire somebody who isn't English, why Mourinho? And I think that's because he's coming to his the end of his time at Spurs. He's achieved a lot in the game already in multiple leagues. And so where is he going to move on to next? I think he's actively caught in the Portugal job. they've got a really old manager now who's been there for a long time. who can't really take that Portugal team as good as it is any further. And when City played Spurs last and they were coming out of the tunnel, Mourinho made a beeline for the City players coming out so he could shake hands with Bernardo and Cancelo like immediately. So I think he's after doing that and I think that England should get in there and try and pip him to the job first. I think it's realistic because it's a natural progression for him as a manager, Uh, won the Champions League, he he is successful. I think one of the negative things about having Mourinho is obviously the longer that you have him there, the more he grates on everybody, the players, the coaching staff, uh, the people running the club. You wouldn't necessarily have that with England because they play once every three months. Like, he has less time to be that annoying prick (laughs) that rubs everybody up the wrong way. So, um, yeah, I I think that once you open it out to a non-English manager, you can realistically go for somebody like Mourinho, and I would say him.
0: It's a shame Dele Ali will never get another cap in (laughs) it.
2: Is that a shame? I reckon you can shock that up to being another positive a, for the England side, to be honest. I, I think that Jesse Lingard's probably be- going to become uh, the most consistent England player, but, <laughs> that's, oh,
0: but that's it. Get get a uh, big savvy. and then you've got a midfielder, Jesse Lingard and Mark Noble in the World Cup final. What, what do you need?
1: Stuart Downing could come back. Is he still playing? <laughs> He'd come back. He's hit his boots on again.
0: The other big reason Sam Allardyce should play is because you don't need to waste time making a biopic afterwards because it's it's already been made, hasn't it, with Ricky Tomlinson. So, you know, you just don't, it's it's all written in the stars and we got to the semis in that biopic as well, which, you know, maybe. I think the positive thing about having
2: Sam Allardyce as England manager again is that it would probably only be for one more game. So it could get rid of his 100% record of successful matches as Again, England manager. 100%
0: record for <laughs> Sam Allardyce. No other England manager has the same record.
1: Are we done there? I'm never done. Um,
2: I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't literally rip the <laughs> Sam Allardyce idea to Shrek. <laughs> his biggest accomplishment in English football is keeping teams in the Premier League. The one good managerial position he's been appointed to was Newcastle, and he got sacked because he couldn't handle the dressing room. You, you're telling me that Sam Allardyce is going to be able to manage the likes of Sterling, Kane, like Rashford, Sancho, uh, Foden. He's going to be up-and-coming progressive. We, 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 we've finally got a manager who is tactically limited in Southgate, yes, but who is committed to playing a specific style of football and playing youthful players. And I know that Cam's not being entirely serious, but you can't go <laughs> back to hiring somebody like big Sam
0: Allardyce. England, England will play a specific brand of football under Sam Allardyce. And that's 4-4-2. Four, four, <laughs> <laughs> the Brexit all right, all right. formation.
1: On that note, on that note, I'm ringing the bell. <laughs> well, that was enlightening. <laughs> You just gave him the point already. Uh, This one's deep. This uh, this intricate, this one. So I like the comedy of Cameron's answer. I would have found it very interesting to see what Sam Allardyce would have done if he had a few more games in charge, just purely because it's something a little bit different. And like you say, there's already been a TV show about it. Um, I think having looked at both of your selections beforehand, I did see more sense in the Mourinho. What are you
2: talking about? Your heart did drop as soon as you saw both names. Yeah, did,
0: did. what were you expecting to see? Like Eddie Howe or yeah, Steve Gerrard? Gen- like that?
1: Genuinely gen- thought one of you would go for Eddie Howe. Um, I wrote out so many
2: counterpoints to the likes of Eddie Howe and <laughs> Dean Smith Frat and Lampard. Graham Potter and Frank Lampard. Literally had like a counterpoint to every single one of those managers. And when Cameron put Sam Allardyce on there today, I just fell off my chair. <laughs> I was like, well, there's half an hour of
0: prep that I'm never going to get you got to hit him with a surprise. You've got to shock him.
1: Oh, don't do that, mate. Don't do that two weeks in a row in the debate for Richard. He doesn't like that. (laughs) No. (laughs) Right. No, you can't do that
2: until you can give Derby day.
1: (laughs) So, I think, really, if you'd put up any sensible argument, uh, Cameron, then maybe you could have swayed me. But I I do think it's Mourinho on this occasion. Um, I think the fact that he's saying it's something fresh for him, like the way he's developed through the clubs and the fact that he pisses people off after two or three years, it might be a different avenue for his career now, so that that does make a lot of sense to me. However, Guy Clichy was hit this time by... Oddington's. No, (laughs) I wish it was. He was hit by Richard. Nice. And also Cameron. Damn. (laughs) Because you both mentioned Sam Allardyce's 100% record.
0: In the space of a
1: second of each other. <laughs> so, Richard, I think that means you've got point for both debates plus an extra point for winning them both. And then you both lose a point for hitting a gale.
2: So I end up with two and Cameron ends up with minus one. Correct. I would be up for giving Cameron a plus point for... <laughs> Quite obviously, I, I don't know if he was if he was I, I going for the it, yeah. comedic factor or <laughs> it, if if after yesterday's debacle, uh, sorry last week's debacle if he just wanted to make me feel better that make by <laughs> making sure that I got at least one point from the debate like it's, uh, <laughs> it's one of those two things so I, I I don't mind giving Cameron a comedy point for that one or maybe we should wait and see how it's received by. The wider audience <laughs> of one other person before.
0: before we do. Yeah,
1: let, let's let's make judgment on that next week.
0: I'll do just a good point.
1: Our one fan let us know on Twitter what you think.
0: You know who you are.
1: <laughs> right. Okay. So, good debate, boys. And we first... could. Uh, yeah, i was just being nice, really. Um, right, I, I enjoyed so- that
2: debate a lot. I like it when it's when it can be a bit more loose and uh,
1: yeah. And it was nice not having it about City as well, just for a change, just to mix it up a little bit.
2: We're running out of questions. We might have to start thinking about just one for Manchester City. I think.
1: Maybe, maybe. And I think, as well, like we said, it might be interesting to start getting some guest debaters on as well. Let's see how uh, how the public fare against applications
0: it. in the post. <laughs> Pale <laughs> box. Just just before you move on, that that's the first time Richard's ever lost the point in the debate. You know.
1: Sign of things to come.
0: We'll Is that call. true? Yep. Yeah. According to the league table, which it oh. could be wrong very, very, very often. <laughs> um, but according to the league table. Uh, that also we'll lift, never know.
1: That also lifts James off the bottom. I've engineered this perfectly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so what's left, guys? Have we got anything left to
0: talk
1: about? Well, we're going to try and uh, what do a, a review show of the Leicester game, do you reckon? Sounds good to Next me. This week. So beforehand, we'll get our teams in up on Twitter. Who we think will play, just uh, very briefly. How, how do you feel about last the game? Are you confident? Uh, it's, yes, it's one of them.
2: I, I actually am. I, I'm. I'm very confident that City can get a result from that. I think that it'll be difficult because we always struggle at their stadium. But I reckon that the motivation from the disgrace that it was at the Etihad earlier in the season that alone is enough to should be enough to make city players want to go out there and perform to the best of their ability i reckon that the only thing that could prevent us from doing that is if pep decides to tackle some sort of crazy formation out of fulham in order to keep some players fresh for the dortmund game which isn't exactly outside the realms of possibility but my biggest hope is that we just stick to what's gotten us as far so, so far, and play our best formation, and see how we get on in the Dortmund game after that.
0: Big collections in form, though, isn't
2: he? You love to see it. Mm. He Not does like to miss uh, miss dead cert chances against Manchester City, though. It's
1: a good lad. <laughs> Did you see his little scream after his interview, yeah. the last game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's becoming the new James Madison with his uh, post-match interviews, isn't he?
2: Honestly, they I don't know if they've got like a media management team or whatever. I would imagine that most Premier League clubs do, but someone's doing a good job there at Leicester mm. by just telling him, so why don't you just go out there and be yourself instead of put on the Raheem Sterling style of cordial interview tone?
1: <laughs> oh, someone's doing a bad job and not controlling them properly.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think Jamie Vard is the only one who you would imagine needs control in there, and to honestly. I could see him pulling off something something stone cold esque where he comes out with a with a pint. <laughs> Crushes
1: a can against his forehead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Well I think that's a great Leicester preview. That's a uh, give you a taste. Cam, have you got any thoughts before we go?
0: Only to echo the words of Collector at that show.
1: Right, on that note. Well, uh love you and leave you till next week. All I can say is I hope that all the players from the internationals come back fit and healthy because I don't want anyone trying to blame injuries for the reason to see when it out of cheer. So, <laughs> guys, Big Sam for life. Big Sam for life. See you next week. Sanji, bye. Bye. Yes. Big time, bye.
2: <laughs> Cam, when you were saying uh, Big Sam earlier, it just reminded me of when he was managing West Ham and we yeah, had uh, Bugsy Malone. Him <laughs> well, no, we had the Bugsy <laughs> Malone Sam's theme
0: West Ham. <laughs> what? Shit, <Big> football. football.
1: <laughs> How was this not on the podcast? Uh...